For those that don't know me, my name is Peter Botros. I'm a member of staff. And today I'm really excited. As you can tell from our stage and what we're doing around, today's a day of celebration for us. Tonight we will celebrate, just as El said, we'll celebrate baptisms. And also we're going to celebrate prematurely. We're going to celebrate in advance. You've heard that last week. We're going to celebrate prematurely that some people who don't know Jesus, who will come tonight to support their friends, they will be touched by the Spirit of God. We're celebrating in advance. We're not just celebrating the people who already made a decision to get baptized and to walk with Jesus. We're celebrating the people that will come as a result of their baptism. But today, this morning, I don't just want to celebrate what will come. I want to celebrate what's already here. Today, I want to celebrate what God is doing in your life, the members who come to this church week in and week out. And if you're new with us, if you don't subscribe to Christianity, if you're just visiting with a friend, we are so glad you're here because you will hear what God is doing in the life of our people and what God could do in your life because God has invited us into a relationship that brings joy, not sadness. He told us that he will give us his joy and that his joy will be made full and complete in us. And when it comes to parties, you know the feelings and association that come into your mind when you think of parties with the birthdays or weddings or whatever parties that you come up with. But, but I acknowledge is that just because we say it's a party, it doesn't mean everybody's clapping and excited because there are two types of people in the world when it comes to parties. The first group of people are the farmers. The farmers are the people who always fear missing out. They have fear of missing out. The other group of people that I affiliate with more often is the fogey, fear of getting invited. Especially if you're a parent and you get that dreaded letter in the mail, you know, the 10th or the 15th letter of the McDonald's party for your child. You're like, my goodness. And especially when it conflicts with the other two in your family, that one has to be in this side of town and the other in this side of town and somehow super, super mom or super dad going to make the distance and get you there right on time. But aside from that, before I get into the party scene, I want to tell you something that has uh, uh, troubled my mind in the past few weeks. About three weeks ago, at the night service, I connected with a couple of young married people who I wanted to uh, go out with coffee with them. And I said, I know you work, you're, you're around the gym all the time, and, and you go to the gym all the time. Uh, I, I want to come to where you are. We'll have a coffee together. And, uh, and they said, okay, why don't you come to the gym first, and then we'll have a coffee together. I said, that's going to be pretty hard. And in a twinkle of an eye, the guy looked back. He's that big. You get scared of him, so you say yes to whatever he says. And, and he said to me, well, I'll give you a challenge. If you do not come to the gym, I won't come to church. As if I needed motivation. You and I know the scientific facts about exercise. None of us would, dis, uh, would, would dis, um, uh, discredit 
the scientific research that tells us that exercise 30 to 60 minutes a day is very good for you. It says that exercise boosts brain power. That's not bad for somebody like me. Exercise melts away stress. Exercise gives you energy, the endorphins that come into your bloodstream. Exercise helps ward off disease, helps prevent heart disease, stroke, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, and the like. And exercise boosts performances as you gain greater level of endurance. Who would argue with that? Who would argue against that? How many people believe that this is scientific fact? If you, if you, if you disagree with things, this, put your hand up. If you don't believe that exercise is helpful, put your hand up. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm not joking. Uh, I, I want you to put your hand up if you think that exercise isn't good for you. So we all 100% agreement that exercise is good for you. So why would this guy challenge me with something so dumb? Of course I'm motivated to go to the gym. And I will show you how much I've built up. Boys, bring the equipment. I'm going to demonstrate to you the benefit of being challenged. That's the bench, bench press. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oops. Let's bring it this side a little bit. I'll get sweaty, so I'm going to make sure that's all under control. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate it. Thank you. You think you need a drum roll. Wait until I bring the weights out. A bit of a clap would do. How many do you reckon I can do? Come on. One. Two, three, no one is surprised. How many times do you reckon I went to the gym? You of little faith. Don't laugh at me. Because only 17.4% of Australians do any physical or fitness activity. Do you know that? You've all agreed to that assertion. Then fitness is so important. I agree to it. I subscribe to it. How many times? Well, suffice to say, for the past two weeks, I haven't seen those couples. Because it's different. Knowledge and practice are two different things. And the same thing happens in our spiritual walk with God. 100% agreement about our cognitive constructs, about our faith, about our beliefs, about what Jesus did for us, about what Jesus means to us. We all agree. There won't be an argument in this room about how good God is and how he calls us to live a life that honors him and bless the people around us. Nobody would ever disagree with our Christian doctrines in this room. But just like that challenge, it's not like I don't want to become healthy. It's not like I don't love those couples and I want to be with them. But knowledge, friends, is not power. Knowledge doesn't change who you are. And you know that from 
your own experiences with Christians who would adhere to the same level of faith and doctrinal agreement. But it doesn't mean that we're living the life that we're called to live. In fact, today you'll find more informed and educated Christians that you'll ever see in your life. But today, we still struggle in our family relationships. Today, there's still affairs in the Christian household. Today, there is still at night people accessing the computer for prohibited things. Today, there is still people who are addicted to pornography and to alcohol abuse. And today, we still have Christians who say that you love one another, yet they can't stand one another. We have the faith that Jesus called us to encourage one another daily, and it, as if we completely misread it, and it says, discourage one another daily. It's amazing how our beliefs do not always reflect our behavior, because knowledge is not power. And theological assertions does not always translate in biblical living. We have become more cognitive people who know it to the letter of the law, but struggle to live it out. Because life with God is not meant to be a theoretical lecture. It's meant to be lived, not meant to be memorized. God is not calling us to be the Jesus creed. To, people don't need an explanation of our creed. People need an, an illustration of the Jesus breed. People don't need to know more about our faith. People need to see what it's like to live it in the context of a practical living. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was searching the internet and I came across a particular preacher. He was incredibly eloquent. The man is of supreme understanding of the scripture. He has started a church called New Spring in America about 16 years ago. And the church started with absolutely nothing. And it was about 33,000 people. If you don't think this guy is a great preacher and a good leader. You haven't seen good preachers and good leaders. The guy is a freak. And as I was listening and admiring what he's saying, I, I haven't had a good history. I didn't know much about him. And towards the very end of his message, he said, when I got sacked from my church on last July, I went to rehabilitation. And he was saying, so I said, this guy is kidding or he's like, he's taking these people on or what the heck is he talking about? So I went to Mr. Google, Saint Google, and I checked the guy out. And indeed, he was the legend that he claimed to be. And indeed, he was sacked from his ministry after 16 years of a church he founded because of alcohol abuse and mistreatment of his family. Friends, the guy knew Christianity like the back of his hand. He could convince a mice to you know, turn around to be a follower of Jesus. He's the guy's a freak. But just because 
we have a good explanation of that creed. Christianity needs a new breed. Christianity needs a new type of people that don't live Sunday Christianity. Christianity needs a new type of Christians that live their faiths at home. Christianity needs a new type of Christians that live within community that egg each other to be more like Jesus. Christianity doesn't need another theologian and another expert. Christianity needs disciples. Look at what he said in one of his confessions about three or six months after being caught and dismissed. He says, I chose isolation over community. Isolation is where self-doubt dominated my emotions. Causing me to believe I just could not carry the weight anymore. And alcohol was necessary for me to make it through another day. I was a hypocrite. I preached. I preached that you cannot do life alone and then went out and lived the opposite. You and I are yearning for another type of Christianity. A Christianity that is not set on reaching the world with the creed of Jesus. A Christianity that is not about filling the pews with the social club of Christians. A Christianity that is not meant to be all about activism and what I can do and how I can do more than anybody else. Christianity needs to go back to discipleship. Because with the Reformation, we had slogans just like sola scripture, like the scripture and nothing else. We had go back to the sources and we're fantastic slogans that completely reformed the way Christian lived in those centuries. But today, we need another Reformation. And I mean it with all my heart because Christians need to go back to the brand that the founder initiated, not the brand that the, the, the affluent society have created for us. God is not clapping on the throne because we are sitting together in a building. God is more excited about seeing you the way he created you to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And no one would argue that Christ's last command is our priority. And he asked us to go and make disciples and teach them to obey him, not in the church, but in day-to-day -day activity. Nobody would disagree to that assertion. But friends, we've allowed Christianity, to, to the society to influence our perception of Christianity. And not that you would disagree with Jesus, but you have valid barriers for the way you could go, some of us, for the way we could go into the brand that Jesus has called us to live. For some of us, we've embraced from the society individualism. You see what? Faith and politics. Don't mess with me, bro. That's my business. You don't talk about it. You can talk from the stage. Okay, no problem. But you can't talk to me about my faith. It's my business. And I could do it, me and God, because that was missing before the Reformation that people weren't connecting with God. They were connecting with the church and one another. Guess what we did after the Reformation? We've ignored the horizontal and connected directly with God, which is awesome, but it's incomplete because the cross is both horizontal and vertical, friends. For some of us, we've missed, we missed the call of Jesus that Christianity is never ever individualistic. 
it is a community base. We also embrace from affluence, our affluent society the idea of independence. You know, all to each own, no accountability. I can do it myself. If you call somebody into account within a church, they will leave your church. If in a connect group, we study the Bible and we're happy with the cognitive stuff that comes to our mind. But if you ask somebody whether they're reading the word daily or not, they want to slap you across the face. I have received nothing of more criticism and opposition for the past three years than fancy that. Figure that out. The only thing that people dislike, not the only thing, the major thing people dislike is that I ask them to spend time with God daily and to come to a connect group and share so that we can be supported and accountable. Why? Because there's something in our affluent society says, he's not better than me. He don't, I don't need to be accountable to anybody. I am independent, brother. And we've also embraced the idea of indifference. That you could be a Christian on Sunday. But you don't have the time and the priority to put the energy to be a disciple. Peter, you should thank your lucky stars that we come semi-regularly to church. Like, what do you want, brother? If you're going to annoy us every week that we come here, we're just going to leave you the bus empty. You can drive it. Friends, you yearn for the real Christianity that Jesus died. And this is not it. To live an indifferent Christian life, to live one for the world and one for your career and a time for God and a time for your business and a time for God and a time for your hobbies and a time. Like God came so that you no longer live for yourself, but for him who died and rose again. That's part of the assertion that you and I accept. I'm sorry if I'm getting excited. But we need a reformation. We do not need a renovation. We need a reformation. We don't need to just go back to the scripture. We don't just need to go back to the sources. We need to go back to Christ's likeness because that's what Jesus died and rose again for. And I will say it and I will live it and I will teach it until the bus is empty. Because that's what we're called to do. Why don't we live the life that Jesus died for? It's not because we don't want to, but sometimes because of not just individualism or independence or indifference, but sometimes because of incompetence. We don't know how to do it. We want to, but nobody helped us to be discipled. The whole concept of Christianity for us is being cognitive accumulation of knowledge. I love it. I was just reading the other day a systematic theology, a professor in systematic theology said something profound. He says, we are not subscribers of, philosoph of philosophical understanding and constructs of Christianity. Christianity and faith is all about identity formation. Hallelujah. God wants to form who you are. God is interested in the who world, not just in the what world. God is not interested in how much you know. God is interested in how much you live like Jesus. And you know what? That's what actually used to happen early in the way Jesus formed Christianity. You know, discipleship wasn't a new thing that Jesus introduced onto the scene. In fact, it was Pharisees had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Every Jewish rabbi had a disciple. 
And that wasn't about cognitive understanding. In fact, they had something called Bet Sifr and Bet Midrash and Bet Talmud, where the people, the young people, got acquainted with the scripture and built their understanding of God's word. But when they came to be discipled, it was all about proximity with the rabbi. They basically spent time with the rabbi day in and day out. They followed the rabbi to be like the rabbi. If you wanted to summarize the discipleship, it was to love your teacher and be like your teacher. It was to love your teacher and be around him all the time and to be like him because that's what your family needs. That's what your neighbors need. That's what our community needs. And indeed, that's what our church needs. We need Jesus-like people who live for God wholeheartedly regardless of cost, regardless of reputation. It's written about Paul that in good repute and in bad repute, he walked with God. He influenced his world because he lived like Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. So Peter, how can we do it? How can we live that life that involves us to be discipled in a community of people? Let me read you my favorite passage of scripture. I'm going to spend maybe 10 or 15 minutes explaining that. And then I'm going to surprise you with something at the very end. And I tell you, I'm not going to be doing any more bench presses. So do not leave. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22, it says this. Here is Jesus' way of making disciples. And I'm going to comment on it on a, a particular way of making disciples that I want to propose to you. It's not the way. It's not the Jesus way. It's just the way that I've learned that I've described, that I lived out, that I passed on to others, and it's been helpful. I hope it is helpful to you or inspire you to come up with your own way of being a disciple and making a disciple. This situation happened in the Sea of Galilee, which is about six miles wide and 12 to 14 meters long and 600 feet below the sea level. And, and Jesus here, it says about him in verse 22, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. He was just teaching before them. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already, that's the boat of the disciples, was already a considerable distance from the land. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, during the fourth watch of the night, that's in the final hour, people. If you're going through tough times, just hang in there. Because Jesus will come at a time when you do not expect him at the final hour when everything else collapses. It says, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Fancy that. When Jesus coming to you and you feel threatened and terrified, just because you're feeling tired, threatened, challenged, dis disturbed, disappointed, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't with you. In fact, sometimes it's what Jesus is doing in your life that causes you to feel terrified and believe that he's not with you. But it, because Jesus came to them, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you 
on the water. Tell me to come to you on the water. Why on earth? Have you, you probably are aware of that story and it might lose its impact because you, you know the end from the beginning and Peter fast forward, I know the log line at the end. But hey, bear with me for one second. Have you ever considered why did Peter, crazy Peter, ask Jesus to order him to come and walk on water? I'm sure he understands walking on water is not really a great idea. Not many people before him had done it and succeeded. It's not very logical. And he's not dumb. So why did he ask for it? You know why he asked for it? He asked for it because what he understood about discipleship. He understood that a true disciple didn't just know what his teacher knew. He lived the way his teacher lived. And if his teacher is going to walk on the water, if I am his disciple, I'm going to walk on the water. No matter what he does, I am going to do the same. Because he understood in discipleship his possibility. He didn't look at the human race and say, what I can do. He didn't look at past Christians and say, what can I do? He didn't look at what history says, the limitation of a Christian and what you can do. He didn't look at the history of reformation and think we can't have another reformation. You know what he looked at? He looked at Jesus and discovered his possibility. He looked at the example embodied of what I can be like. And friends, I want to tell you throughout the scripture, whether you know it or not, God has deposited the very nature, the very divine nature, the very spirit, the very characteristics of Jesus. He deposited that in you and he deposited that in me. And if you miss that, you miss Christianity. Because you know what we do sometimes? I read in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17 that the beginning of it is love is amongst us, that we have the confidence that we're going to be with Jesus on the day of judgment. That's all we stop at in 1 John chapter 4 verse 17. That God loves us so much, He died for our sins, we're going to meet Him one day. That's great. But you know what the rest of the verse says? It says, in this world, we are like Jesus. Because that's exactly the same way the love of God is manifested in your life. Even in a greater portion than you going to heaven. And I mean it. You know why, friends? Get the best person you know of. The greatest athlete, the greatest musician, the greatest president. You know, whatever is around. You know, for my area, the greatest leader. You know, if I know of a particular leader, say for example, Bill Hybels in America. He's a freak leader. Imagine I have one of two options. I either meet with Bill Hybels, which is not going to happen. He doesn't know an ant like me. But imagine if I got through and I was able to meet with Bill Hybels. That would be great privilege. But imagine if I could be like Bill Hybels. That's the difference. You want to meet with Jesus, which is awesome. But Jesus wants something greater for you that you'll be like him. In fact, it says that when we see him face to face, we will be made like him. That, that's the ultimate dream is that God wants you to be more like Jesus. That is your possibility. You need to believe it if you're ever going to live it. You need to believe that the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's Christianity. That you would find somebody else who imitates Christ in the entire way of their living. 
Not perfect example, but living examples. Not perfection, but living an application of the very nature of Christ on earth by the power of the Spirit of God. And you need to imitate them, not just learn from them. That's the first thing that Jesus does. He helps us to become like Him. A discipleship way of becoming more like Jesus is to first discover your possibilities. Discover the truth that you are more like. Jesus. The second thing that Jesus helped Peter with, he says to Peter, come, come, he says. Jesus, don't you know that that's not possible, that he'll walk on water? He says, well, let's try it. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water. Isn't that funny? All we remember about Peter that he sung. We don't remember anything good. That's our natural human being. You look at somebody and find their mistakes. You never think about their positives. Isn't that weird? That was for free, by the way. That wasn't part of the sermon. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. You know how we teach these days? How we think of discipleship is somebody learning more things. Somebody thinks in a biblical way. That's what we say. That's maturity. You think more theologically. You think more biblically. Friends, that may be true, but that's not the way we learn as adults. We learn through thinking, yes, but we also learn through thinking. And that's not a, a problem with my accent. Yeah, that We learn through thinking and we learn through Sinking. You gotta have to learn in the experiences of life. Our discipleship has to have a pattern that is both cognitive and transformative. We need to be in an environment where we don't just learn more, but live more. We need to be in an environment where we practice what we preach. Not to say, you know, you need to be in a community, but we're living a lonely life because we don't want anybody to keep us accountable. We want to guard our reputation, not our character. And if God is convicting you, it's not me. Because the majority of us love the pews, but we're not interested to be together in an environment where we actually practice what the assertions that we believe. But Jesus gave Peter the experience of life, knowing that he may fail, but it was okay to fail. Because Jesus was there. You know what we need to be aware of is the second way that we need to take on the discipleship mentor of being like Jesus is to learn a pattern of living. To be aware of what is going to happen. To be aware of the outlook, the gradual steps to, be, to get there and to help people through that process. Not to say, oh, you know, do more plus and minuses when there is more divisions and multiplication and probability. Like we need to be aware of what more. Where is the next level? You can't just repeat the same thing over and over again. You want to grow? Yeah, come to church. You want to grow? Just fast. You want to grow? Just read your Bible. You want to grow? Just pray. There is more to that, friends. There is a pattern of spirituality that we want to pass on. But you know what happens, what I, what I hear about all the time? People say, oh, we just want to study the Bible. You know why? Because information never, ever convicts. We want to know more because it's easy. But we don't want to be in an environment where how is your life with God going? 
You know, you might have friendship groups. You might have connect groups. You might have even accountability groups. But friends, we need more than just information. We need a pattern of walking with God. That's why Paul said to, uh, to his Timothy, to his disciple Timothy, he says, hold fast the pattern. There is a pattern. You can't just make it up of sound words which you what? heard from me because discipleship is transferred. It's not gathered from Google. In faith and love, can you see the practicality of it? It's not knowledge. It's practical, which are in Christ Jesus. The second thing we need to be aware of, we need to live to know and live a pattern that both cognitive and transformative. The last thing Jesus did here when he found that Peter fell, he says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, The wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. The, The last thing that we need to do is to be in environments of support and challenge. Jesus caught Peter out of the water, but he didn't just pat him on the back. He said to him, think with me. Why did you doubt? What's not working in your walk with me? Why did you that? Reflect with me. Don't just, oh, I want all the support that I can get. Friends, if we're going to be discipled and disciple others, we need to embrace the environments of support and challenge. You know, we don't just have to pat each other all the time. We're going to have to challenge one another to live the life that Jesus called us to live. We are called to be more like Jesus, not just to pat everybody into whatever lifestyle that they're living in. We need to love and speak the truth in love, to challenge and to rebuke just as much as to encourage and pat on the back. Look at what Paul says to Titus. Tell them these things, encourage and rebuke. Can you see the difference? encourage and rebuke they go hand in hand we form the christianity where i am willing to be encouraged but i'm not willing to be challenged because you're not better than me and if you challenge me that i'm going to feel bad about myself and i'm going to knock you over it's because i don't want to feel bad about me we need to challenge and encourage one another as a family would you know what happens in this structure is that it changes your cognitive ideas as well as it changes your character, who you are. Look two chapters later at what happened. Yes, we've got possibility, pattern, and partnership. Let's go to what happened in Matthew chapter 16, just two chapters later. It says, but what about you? He asked the disciples, who do you say I am? This is the assertions. This is the creed. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Here is the greatest revelation of all time. The first person to say to Jesus, you are the son of God. Look what Jesus said to him. Simon, Jesus replied, bless you are Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven. Can you see that? When was it revealed to Simon alone, not to the rest of the disciples? When Jesus held his hand and walked along the water. And he says, if I can walk back to the boat with Jesus, this is not a normal human being. The assertions come in the experiences of life. You will realize deep within you who Jesus is. But look at what he says. And I tell you, 
I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He says, not only I will change your beliefs, I change who you are. That is discipleship. It's the formation of our identity. It's the formation of our character. That's why I'm fired up about it. Because we don't need more educated Christians. We don't need educated Christians who are collapsing under sin and under anxieties or under the weight of the world. We need Christians who are blessed by one another to live the Jesus-like character. And you say to me, Peter, this is all fun and games. But this is not possible in our affluent Western world. So I'm going to pick on just a few people that will come on my bench press for a sec. I'm going to ask one at a time to come and tell us some of their experiences with discipleship. Could you welcome up the stage my beautiful wife, Susie Botros? You forgot your microphone. It's hard to speak without it. Susie, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on how did you embrace this whole concept of discipleship? So I uh, grew up in a traditional church and uh, my family attended church reasonably regularly. Um, my understanding of Christianity and of what living um, a Christian uh, life looked like uh, didn't extend beyond the Christianity is just about living a moral life. So that's all I knew. Um, at the age of 19 or 18, we had a new pastor come to our church <clears throat> and he had a very clear and structured um, approach to discipleship. Um, he presented um, a very different doctrine to uh, what I'd known um, in terms of living for Jesus. And so at the age of 19... I gave my life to Jesus and um, I guess from that point all I've ever known is um, a pattern of discipleship. All I've ever known is the seamlessness between um, living my life on earth and living my life for Jesus. So since I, I got saved at 19, I've only ever known it to be all in or all out and that's what I received. Um, I had a very clear understanding at that point because it was very obvious in the way that it was presented and delivered and backed up through scripture um, of where I was, um, where I had been, where I currently was and where I was going. It was like I had a very clear roadmap of where I needed to head which um, demystified the confusion around well, what does actually living for Jesus even look like. And uh, throughout your life you engage with other people to help you uh, in the uh, uh, integration of the biblical world and your life. Tell us a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. um, so right from the word go, I was part of um, a small group. There was um, a few of us, it was mixed gender, and we got together weekly. We unpacked um, the scripture, so we um, looked at what the Bible had to say, and actually I'd not really ever read the Bible before. It just wasn't part of what I knew Christianity to be, so that was profound in itself. Um, we unpacked the Bible, we spoke about life and how to actually live life on this side of eternity um, as a Christ-like person and what that meant for every area of my life, for family, for study, for work, for relationships, for um, morality, and so on a whole lot of levels. But it involved, um, um, I didn't call them an accountability group at the time, I didn't really know what to call them, but as I reflect back, it was a group of people that I regularly did life with every single week they ended up becoming family um, 
yeah, we, we were just one big family really because we just built that connection and that network and spoke into each other's lives and knew some things that other people outside that group didn't really know about us. In recent times? Mm -hmm. And in recent times, um, I have had two mentors for quite a number of years now. Um, one of them is um, in her 50s and um, I have two because one is in her 50s and she profoundly speaks into my life um, and the other one is 70 and she's been in ministry um, all her life as well. So I figured that that was a good influence um, and insight into my life given what um, our life looks like. And so um, both those women pretty much know everything about me, um, my ins and my outs, my, um, the things I'm good at, the things that I delusionally think I'm good at <laughs> and the things that I'm really bad at. Um, they support me a lot. They're very much a part of my life and they um, encourage me significantly but they also challenge me significantly, ask me hard questions, quiz me on why I thought that, why I did that um, and what on earth were you thinking um, and I'm okay with that because I've invited them to, to be those people in my world. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And Susie, I understand that you also invest in other people. I'm going to invite Al to also give us a, a bit of an understanding about coming out. Uh, show your appreciation to Al Dalton as she comes. Susie. Al, tell us a little bit about how God has influenced your spiritual walk in the past little while. Um, I would say my spiritual walk has probably been influenced in a few ways. Um, the first way would probably be that um, I'm surrounded by a bunch of people um, similar age and just a similar walk of life where we're all, um, I guess, striving for the same thing and wanting to become more like Jesus and, and what that looks like. So actually being in, a, in an environment where there's people like coming to church on a Sunday and in my small group and um, different things like that um, and as well as having a mentor that um, helps me and keeps me accountable into developing that and does real life. Um, but probably the the thing that helps most with my spiritual walk would be actually um, learning a little while back um, the importance of spending daily time with God and what that actually looks like. And so um, for me, it was a massive growing experience um, as I grew up in church, always knowing the importance of reading the Bible. And, and I would try my best to do it, but actually learning to read it, something like, you know, Jonah got eaten by the whale and it's not just cool story but it's actually Jonah got eaten by the whale and this is exactly how it involves in my situation and this is what um yeah how it applies to me um and so being able to hear from God into my situation in a daily applicable way um has totally transformed my spiritual world. that's awesome that is absolutely awesome Al tell us a little bit more about your experience of being mentored um yes yeah, so I've been mentored um for a little while now um and I think that it's been really beneficial for me in a couple ways to have someone that is there for me as a friend that I can laugh with and joke with um, and just hang out with, go out for coffee and whatever. Um, but it's also um, been really helpful to have someone that actually asks me the real questions, that knows me in and out, um, knows, yeah, the real Ellen and what I'm struggling with and, and everything and, and challenges me but, you know, supports me the whole way through. Um, but, yeah, actually really helping me develop in all areas and not just pat me on the back. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably been the main thing my experience having it. And, and you're an amazing person that I've invested, especially I've seen you last year, invest in so many young people in a ridiculous way. You've pioneered the whole concept of discipleship in our young people. Tell us a little bit more what it's like to mentor somebody else. Um, I think it's 
it's an incredible experience to be able to mentor someone else. It's super challenging at times as well because your heart is so in it as well and sometimes you don't know what to do. Um, but it's, it's so fulfilling and so worth it. And um, being able to partner with, um, for in, in my experience, is partnering with girls who are a few years younger than me um, and being able to help them. They also want to want to be more like Jesus and to be able to partner with them and what that looks like. And I think back to when I was that age, what I really would have benefited from if I had someone who was older and, and helping me along the journey. So being able to be that for them. Um, and another aspect of it as well is I guess that I learned so much from doing it. I mean, these girls are amazing and I feel so challenged seeing the hard decisions that they make for Jesus and, um, and some of the deep questions that they ask me that really get me thinking. So I also really learn from the experience as well, although that's not why I do it. Um, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And, and I know that it's been a, a encouraging conversations and difficult and changing conversations at the same time. So I'm going to invite Bree, if she could come. Give Bree a huge round of applause. She's Bree's in year 10, and she's part of our spark. If we could move this side a little bit so that the microphone um, doesn't get a bit more. More. Bree, tell us about how your spiritual life been impacted over of recent time. Um, probably one of the biggest things is being stoked to like taking that half an hour out of my day just to spend time with God and give Him thanks, as well as like talking to Him about like my struggles. Um, and going to youth group like Spark here at a, on a Friday night and being surrounded with that environment of just really supportive leaders who. Um, you can ask heaps of questions and they're really open and honest about it. Um, yeah, and being encouraged by all the other um, youth um, who are on a journey with God as well. Um, yes. And also, <laughs> um, a group of girls from youth group, we organised a group called The Discussion. So before youth, we would um, get together and just uh, share our soaps and how God's influenced us throughout the week. Awesome. And Bree, I know you come from a non-Christian background. Tell us what's the benefit of having a mentor when members of your family wouldn't have necessarily been able to impact your spiritual walk. Yeah, so um, I love that we were able to go out to like cafes and um, laugh and have a good chat and share our soaps, but also that we could sit down and have serious and meaningful conversations. That's fantastic. And it certainly have impacted your life in a profound way that you also chose to invest in other people younger than you. Can you give us some of your experiences about that? Yeah, um, it's pretty cool knowing that someone who's mentored me and influenced me in such a massive way that I'm able to do that for someone else and, um, yeah, be that um, person that they can look up to. Um, and it's awesome to think that that person I'm mentoring, they'll be able to do that for someone else one day and, like, continue that um, chain in making Jesus disciples. Um, and, yeah, and it encourages me as well um, to keep me accountable when I think, like, when I'm doing a decision, so, like, should I say this or should I do this? Because, like, would I teach that to um, someone I'm mentoring as well? So it helps me as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Let's show our appreciation to Bree. And now I'm going to introduce you to a very, very special person, my very daughter, Jira Botros, who is only in grade seven. I'm so glad to invite her to share with us as well. I'm so proud of her, particularly of recent times, as she began to develop in her relationship with God Jira, what has impacted you and inspired you to walk with God of recent time? So, um, last year I met the Year 10 girls and just um, when they got baptized and I heard their testimonies, it really inspired me to like um, do the same because I look up to them as people I want to be when I'm older. So, 
Yeah, um, but another thing would be um, my teacher asked me to preach in chapel to all the primary kids, so kids older than me and younger than me, and teachers as well. And um, at first I felt like I couldn't accept it because I wasn't spending time with God myself, but I was telling other people to spend time with God and just like teaching them like and like telling them um, things about God and I felt like that really impacted me as well. That's brilliant. I'm so proud of you for spending time with God almost daily in the past little while. Jira, how is your experience of being mentored impacted you? You fasted for, um, for, for several days. Tell us about why did you fast? So I fasted, um, I fasted, so this time I fasted, it was probably my real serious fast where I really wanted an answer from God. But like the other times would be like, I just fasted because my family was fasting. But I just really wanted an answer from God for like who he felt could lead me and guide me closer to him. That's awesome. Yeah. And what, what has it been like to be a mentor to you? So I've only recently had a mentor. I asked my mentor to mentor me um, a few weeks ago. And last week we had our first catch up. And um, already like knowing that I have a mentor is such a good feeling because I can just go to her like, when I have questions or when I'm unsure about something, and like it's so cool to know that I can go to her. Awesome. And Jira, just in the last couple of weeks, you've had a camp. How has this concept of being impacted by someone and impacting somebody else uh, impacted your camp? Yeah, so um, at camp, I was talking to a new girl who came to our school this year, and she was just like telling me about a few hardships she's been going through um, over the past years, and I'm um, I could like relate with that because I've had heaps of hardships and I've always gone gone through them alone. And like um, at the end of our conversation, I just asked if she'd like to um, spend some time with me, hearing from God. And um, I was so happy to hear that she said yes. So the next day, um, we went outside. It was just the two of us, and um, I was teaching her how to do soap. And um, I was just like and scripture and so on and um yeah she was like writing it down on the cover of her journal and I was really excited and um at the end of it we just spent time praying and then um so that was two weeks ago now and then this week like the past Wednesday that just passed um I was walking with her because she was um going to speak to a counselor and um I was just walking with her and asking like what was wrong and she was telling me and then um like the story about sharing our soaps at camp came up and um, I'm just like are you still doing your soaps and she's like yeah yeah I'm like I was so excited because I've always wanted to impact someone like that but I've always felt like the younger kid who like doesn't have an impact on anyone and um yesterday I was doing a soap on first Timothy 412 and it said, um, part of the verse said, um, don't let people look down on you because you are young, but um, be an inspiration to um, other believers. So, yeah, that really inspired me. That is awesome. It can be done, friends, because Susie has invested over a year in Al, and Al has invested over a year in Bree, and Bree is starting to invest some time in Jira, and Jira is beginning to invest some time with a friend at school. What would stop you? Let's have the band to finish us off with prayer. Can we show our appreciation to our people?